The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Hey, sailor. Um, what are you What are you doing here this time of night, sailor? Sailor, are you sailor, to me? sailor man. Hey. Uh, you, you like what you see? I'm walking past this. No, <laughs> I really don't. Are you sure you don't like what you see? Yeah. No, I really sailor? don't. I was on my way to get some ice cream by the docks. Ah, ice, and I... ice, cr- ice cream. It's weird seeing you here at this ice cream parlor. It's not like you're in a dark alley or something. Hey, hey did you hear that? No. You... Oh, God. Oh, wait. Oh, God, I think they're coming. Oh. Hey, you gotta hide me. You gotta pretend I'm like your, your sister or your cousin or your, your, the one of the... Is there any member of the family that you, that you do sexually? <laughs> do you hear well, them? Well, there is that. No. Look, no. No. No, but I'll tell you what, Paul. I'll tell you what. I'll treat you like my mother. No, no, no. It's the hounds. They're coming after the whore. I'm a whore. It's a whorehound. Oh, God. They gotta hang you from the heavens. <laughs> Welcome to the Third Band Podcast. That was our dumb skit. Uh, my name is Paul Kaminsky, and I'm your co-host. Uh, my name is James Kaminsky, and I'm your other co-host, that was a weird one, Paul. Yeah, it was, it was maybe our weirdest to date. We're a Jack White history podcast. We cover all things Jack White, from music to TV to movies and all kinds of stuff, James. And today, oh, we got a good one. <laughs> uh, that we do, Paul. Fans of the show will know that we have reviewed a certain album uh, in episode 11, I believe. The album was Whorehound. Ah. Uh, now, Paul, I think you've come up with something very special for us today. 
revolving around Whorehound. Yeah, so every once in a while we do shows that cover the various Jack White tours. We did a Rack and Tours show for their uh, Broken Boy Soldiers tour. We did Jack White's solo Blunderbuss tour. And today we are going to cover the very first tour that the Dead Weather ever performed to promote their album Whorehound. I am all ears, literally. I'm made out of ears. Please help me. God, help me. This sounds very exciting. (laughs) So the Dead Weather, for those of you who don't know, is uh, Jack White's, uh, I guess you'd call it the third band of his, like, post-famous person bands. You know, the White Stripes, the Raconteurs, and then the Dead Weather. They were sort of a surprise to fans, and they took rather a dark, sort of gothic humor sort of approach. Halloween-y. Yeah, to... Jack White's music, and it was very interesting, and of course the most notable difference being Jack White was behind the drum kit for The Dead Weather, and that's really the biggest difference, I think, uh, between that and the other groups. And so we're going to talk about the first tour and what that was like with Jack White behind the drum kit. And it's an exciting tour to boot. We've experienced it ourselves, yes. so I can't wait to, to get into this. Yeah, but before we get... To all of that, James. Is there something we should start smelling? Oh, you better believe it. Astounding fact. The most astounding fact. The most astounding fact is the knowledge. I think I smell a fact is the portion of the show in which we get a little tidbit of information that elaborates on a topic that we had already discussed, or it's a bit of information that we were curious about, or it's a question that we had posed to you, the good people, and then we get this information and we relay it out to you, the audience, in this segment we like to call I Think I Smell a Fact. Yes, indeed, and this week our I Think I Smell a Fact comes courtesy of our third woman in spirit every week, Callie Durga. And she's writing in reference to the interview with James's lovely wife, Arielle, from episode 43, Who's to Say? Listener Questions, Volume 2. And it is in relation to Jack White's Catholicism. And James Kelly points out here, and it's pretty cool, that we forgot to tell Arielle that Jack White nearly went into the seminary. That's right. We actually, or at least I actually, knew about this, but I had it had completely fell off my radar. I know I had talked about it very briefly in a prior episode. It was definitely a thing. He almost became a priest or became devoted to uh, to God. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> so I did a little poking around. I found a couple things here uh, via Diffuser. As a young man, White was accepted into a Wisconsin seminary and almost pursued the life of a priest, but changed his mind at the last minute when he realized he couldn't bring his guitar amp along. And this is via a website called Hollowverse, quoting Jack White, I'd got accepted to the seminary in Wisconsin, and I was going to go be a priest, but at the last second I thought, I'll just go to public school. I had gotten a new amplifier in my bedroom, and I didn't think I was allowed to take it with me. Nowadays, White is still a very spiritual person and claims Catholicism, but only because it's his background. It might be anything for White. Quoting Jack again, I feel strongly connected to God. My roots are Catholic by default. I can take elements from Buddhism or other religions and see the similarities and differences in those and learn from those. But at the end of the day, I don't care as much about man's interpretation of religion. What I care about is what God tells me directly. So that's pretty much, that kind of sums it up right there, don't you think, James? I think it does, and I think that's a very good uh, answer to Ariel's question. A much better answer than we had come up with, although I would say ours wasn't terrible either. But, <laughs> yeah, I uh, think we yeah. did a pretty okay job, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Paul, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you want a good answer? <laughs> I'll give you a good answer. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart I character has returned, and I think he just smelled that fact, Paul. <laughs> when I reflect on that fact. James, you ready to get into this topic here? I'm getting ready to get into this topic, Paul. Let's get into it. Topic, topic. James, so we talked a little bit about the dead weather uh, at the top of the show, and uh, if anyone really wants to find out how this group got together, they should go and listen to episode 11 of the podcast, because that James, you did a very good job succinctly breaking down how they got together. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> you. do you want to give just the, ver- like the Cliff Notes version of that? Sure. The dead weather came together a uh, little accidentally themselves. The raconteurs were on tour, and uh, Jack had come down with a case of bronchitis, as well as some injuries, and to let himself heal a little bit, he didn't take a break from the tour like a normal human would. He got uh, singer-songwriter Alison Mosshart to sing some of the songs that have higher notes and things Jack couldn't quite hit with his ailments. That led him to ask Allison to come down to Nashville while they were on a, a brief couple-day break. They were on a break! You guys remember Friends? <laughs> no. I've never seen it. I like Seinfeld. I think that's pretty self-evident from our podcast. Uh, Jack had asked Allison if she wanted to come down to Nashville and record a single with him. Yeah, they just they were just going to go into the studio together and kind of fool around at Jack's new studio, right? It was, it was right. as Third Man was getting started in Nashville. And... Yeah, and uh, Jack Lawrence had tagged along, and Dean Fertitta happened to be staying in Jack's guest house at the time. Also, Dean and Jack were quite close at the time, because Dean was de facto member of the Raconteurs, even though he's weirdly never yes. credited as such. Right, and so they were fooling around jamming one night and they kept on jamming paul so much so that they recorded like half an album in one night and decided to to make a band out of it and the whole reason jack is on drums is because he had some ailments uh, including his bronchitis that made it so that he wouldn't want to sing as much and that he would want to sit down so uh, that's why he's on the drums in the back right and jack no no stranger to the drums he started in music as a drummer played drums professionally with goober and the peas as part of his first sort of major band that he was a part of and so james that's a pretty good summation of how this group got together again if you want to hear the full story i very highly recommend listening to episode 11 you'll find it at weirdly at the bottom of our feed i did wind up being able to get it back into our itunes feed or if you're looking at our podcast on an iphone or something in the podcast app you will find it but it's actually below episode one for some reason anyway it's up there that kind of sets the stage here and James, this album, Whorehound, that the Dead Weather put together, they were prepping it for release in the early months of 2009, and the album would later be released in early July, July 10th in Australia, July 13th in Europe, and the 14th in North America. Mm. But advanced singles for Hang You Up From The Heavens were released digitally on March 11th of that year, and May 25th, the single Treat Me Like Your Mother was also released. So there was single activity prior to the album coming out, and James, I think that was, I remember it being the dead of winter. Ha, <laughs> dead. I remember it being the dead of winter, really, and driving around listening to this for the first time, on, you know, after it coming out digitally and thinking, like, is this really Jack? Because Allison is singing, and you can kind of hear him harmonizing, but it was a drastically different sound from what we had heard before in both the White Stripes and the Raconteurs. 
Yeah, I know it took us a second or two to readjust our mindsets to what Jack White music could be. Yeah, I think it's safe to say the Dead Weather tend to sound a little more sexual, in a way. A little grit, a little more grit. Yeah, there's more fuzz on it. It somehow sounds more unpolished than the White Stripes, even though it's a full band. In a way, that's because they did most of their recording live. True. In jam fashion. So it's as unpolished as unpolished can be, I mean, for professional musicians, I guess. Yeah, it took me a while to get into it. But once I did, I got kind of got in that headspace. And, and anyway, so we're talking the early part of 2009. And obviously, James, as was the norm at that time, Jack White puts out an album. He goes on tour to promote it. Uh, mm. Obviously, The Dead Weather would be the group two albums later to finally break that mold i think for the first time since he started being a professional musician but regardless a tour was being prepped in order to uh, promote the dead weathers album now keep in mind this is another new band jack is asking people to accept and he's not putting his name in front of it in fact i have a little interview snippet i'll play right here i think that I put my efforts into a lot of uh, other things that kind of keep my name away from it. You know, like uh, directing this Buffalo video. I mean, yeah, I've course. directed a lot of things in the past, but I didn't really put my name on it because it's just, uh, I didn't want it to come off as egotistical or something like that or control freaky or whatever. But uh, I think maybe that's kept me, kept me from making a solo record. I've, n- I've never done it. It's the one thing I've never done uh, musically in all these projects. And uh, I-, I guess it's eventually going to happen. Would be great if that happened for okay. sure. So. That's kind of where we are in the Jack mythos. He's the raconteurs are very still very much a thing. People still digesting the fact that he's the raconteurs, and now he's putting this other band on top of it. Mm-hmm. Regardless of all of that, "Hang You Up from the Heavens" debuted in the Billboard Hot Single Sales chart, which is different from the Hot 100, at number eight, which is pretty good. And the album debuted at number six in the Billboard Top 200s chart and number 14 in the UK. By this point, again, John Peel, long gone. Jack's supporter now in the UK is this guy Zane Lowe. And Zane Lowe doesn't have quite the reach Peel did, but he's still sort of an emerging tastemaker. He's kind of a young guy. So Zane and others like him are putting Jack's music out there. But after Peel goes, you really do see a decline in Jack's popularity over in the UK. I think it's because... He was being so championed uh, by John Peel. Is Zane Lowe of the Zane rendition fame? Yes, yes. Okay. And so Zane had been sort of picked up the mantle where Peel left off when the Tours were touring and things. You know, I'd like to do a separate show about Zane. I'm, I'm speaking after not having done all that much research on him specifically, but you see his name pop up a lot, and he really does become a champion for him in the UK. <laughs> and the album climbed next highest in Canada, hitting the number seven spot. But it stayed top 75 around the whole world following its release with fluctuating numbers here and there. It would hit number one in both the alternative and tastemaker billboard charts. So that gives you an idea. This isn't a hits band. This is Mm -hmm. an art piece band. This is a band that is trying to not prove a point, but it's setting out an objective and accomplishing that objective. Jack talks in interviews about how the easy thing to do would be if you found a good thing to just keep it going. You know, I think if you do have a sort of thing, if you have a hit, uh, a hit project, it's usually uh, a really bad move to go away from it and go anywhere in any direction away from keep trying to regurgitate that same product that people want from you. 
and it's bad business. So everyone around you would discourage you from doing that usually. Uh, and usually it is bad business, you know. But uh, I think that from the get-go, I, for one, like when I started the White Stripes, I was already into other bands when I was in that uh, the, big, the early days of the White Stripes. So I'm used to being in a lot of projects. I don't know. I don't get any thing from sitting still for very long. I don't get anything from that. I don't feel like I'm alive, you know. The Dead Weather is a great example of him specifically not doing that because it is a real departure. And he's asking people he's, – I feel like he's asking a lot – of the fans to take it and fold it into their fandom, if that makes any sense. But it's also interesting in and of itself. It's just not like a hooky, catchy band, you know? Yeah, I mean, they have a couple of songs that definitely have a a good hook. But yeah, I would say it's... Even in their uh, live performances, which we will get to very soon, there's a lot of theatrics involved, whereas... You know, the White Stripes were definitely more uh, naked on stage, I, I want to say, you know, because they didn't have a lot to go on. The tours they were more of a, a typical band kind of setting, right. whereas the Dead Weather have strobe lights and a show and an aesthetic and a tone, especially with Allison's haunting singing and, and moaning and screaming and all that. <laughs> yeah, so there's a, there's a definite theatrical quality to the dead weather that none of his other bands had really accomplished up until now yeah that's a that's a good assessment of it i would say if the if the white stripes were up on that stage naked and the raconteurs were fully clothed (laughs) then the dead weather under the sheets (laughs) pretty Um, good there's a veil you know they're in a halloween costume yeah yes i would say is is a less sexual version of that (laughs) well you know that plays a role because Obviously, just because a woman's in the band doesn't make it sexual, but there's a sexual tone to the dead weather that I don't think is there in the White Stripes, and there's a woman in the White Stripes, obviously. Allison and Jack have a chemistry. When you hear them talk in interviews, again, this isn't to gossip, but it's just it's just there when you see it. They're flirting mm-hmm. the entire time. Yeah. This is a band that jokes around, though. Uh, that's, that's another hallmark of this, is, and, and I'll get to that in a moment, but, you know, when the Raconteurs first went on tour everyone's having a great time they're always smiling they're always laughing and they're always joking with each other and the interviewer you get that less on the second racks tour this is a return to that when they're out there promoting it they're joking around with each other constantly mainly jack talking to jack lawrence like he's a small child and mainly (laughs) them all ripping on allison and allison sort of curling up in a ball and there's a definite back and forth with with her and jack which they play up on stage but there's a different dynamic to this group, you know. Dean's very quiet; he doesn't really mm-hmm. chime in almost ever. Uh, Jack <laughs> Lawrence also very quiet, but he's interacting with them more because his his wit is so damn dry, and he's so funny, but he's really dry about it. Yeah, but they look like they're having fun. Yeah, you could see that kind of fun in that promotional video, "The Dead Weather: Their Oral History and Future Plans: An Explanation and Apology." from the band themselves there you go yeah yeah there's a there's a few of them and and that actually brings me to the their first sort of foray into promoting this album uh they promoted it on channel 4 tv in the uk with a documentary about the group directed by jack called full flash bank which uh was followed by a performance of the first three singles on the jules holland show this is not the first or the last time jules holland would 
help to promote Jack's new releases. Jules Holland, also a champion for Jack over there. Most recently, last year on the Acoustic Recordings Tour, Jack played Jules Holland over there in the UK to promote that as well. Yeah. James, let's move on to their first gigs as a group. Ooh, yes, please. So the first live performances by the band were less a part of a tour and more one-off gigs to promote the new album and the group itself. On March 11th, 2009, they played a concert in Nashville at Third Man Records. And James, as we talked about in the episode 11, Whorehound was the album that really kicked off Third Man Records proper. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it kicked off the uh, storefront and the studio and the pretty much everything. It helped launch Third Man in Nashville. Right. Yeah, it was a big promo event, and they had hand-painted singles, and, uh, you know, they played a concert. Yeah. Uh, It was performed the same day as the release of the Hang You Up From The Heavens single, and they played that song, 60 Feet Tall, New Pony, So Far From Your Weapon, and Treat Me Like Your Mother. On April 14th at the Bowery Ballroom in New York City, they played a longer show where they performed 60 Feet Tall, Treat Me Like Your Mother, Outside, which is a Downliners Hmm. sect cover which is kind of interesting. Uh, There's also a studio version of this, which I found whilst researching this show in my iTunes. Hmm. I had no idea. Yes. Bonehouse, So Far From Your Weapon, I Cut Like a Buffalo, You Just Can't Win, which is a Van Morrison cover, Rocking Horse, No Hassle Night, Will There Be Enough Water, and Hang You Up From The Heavens and New Pony as the encore. Deadweather have a real fascination with 1960s and early 70s psychedelic acid rock. Downliner's Sect was a British R&B band from the 60s, formed in 63 and kind of still active today. They take their name as an homage to the Jerry Lee Lewis B-side Down the Line. But that era of groups like they, the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Group and, you know, even we just talked about you just can't win van morrison it's all kind of from that era and so they're picking very specific songs and all of those songs tend to be sharp in some way kind of funny or particularly biting it seems to be there there's a methodology to the kinds of covers they're performing trouble I wonder how much influence Dean Fertitta and Allison have on that particular 
aspect. That's a very good point. Because Dean comes from his Queens of the Stone Age background, and that definitely is writhing in influence from, you know, 60s psychedelia. Yes, that's I hadn't even considered that. And we know Jack and, and Dean were palling around a lot at this time and probably exchanging a lot of music. So that's a very, very good point. I'm sure that played a role. That's when they announced the tour, James. Uh, the tour was announced on May 11th, 2009, mm-hmm. uh, with a press release that was picked up by the various musical trade press. This is via Consequence of Sound. After a short pause to alert people that the White Stripes are still alive, Jack White has jumped back on the dead weather wagon, this time to announce what surely is one of the more anticipated North American tours of the summer. Yes, you won't just have to hit up on one of their many upcoming festival appearances, though an addition to Bonnaroo would be nice, to check out the supergroup consisting of White, Allison Mossart, Little Jack Lawrence, and Dean Fertitta. Following a one-off in Louisville in mid-June... The quartet will embark on a month-long endeavor beginning in mid-July. Dates include multiple nights in Washington, Chicago, and Vancouver, along with single stops just about everywhere else. Limited pre-sale tickets will be available soon, yada yada. Those fans purchasing pre-sale tickets will also have the opportunity to pre-order Whorehound at a discounted price. Once again, Jack White never ceases to disappoint. Now, at the beginning of that article, they mention alerting people the White Stripes is still alive. Do you know what this is in reference to, James? Uh, no. It's in reference to something we've talked about a couple times on the show, something that's tickled our curiosity bones. It sounds a little weird. There was an article that came out in which Jack White talks about Meg finally being over her anxiety problems and that the band has already tracked songs slated for a new right. album that he was saying was due out in 2010. He was saying they tracked songs for an album that was slated to come out in 2010. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they tracked songs, James. <laughs> I know, Paul. And will they ever be released? Probably not. I hope so. There's, I hope they've so. just got to be. I don't I don't know what's going on with that, but... I mean, we'll see. It's sad to know the, the future in this one. We had hope, Paul. We had hope. I know. This also helps paint the picture of where Jack was in his career. Like, the White Stripes are still a thing. Mm-hmm. And so are the Bracken Tours. So anything could happen at this point, you know, because this wasn't long after Jack and Meg appeared on that final appearance with Conan. So this is like no one knew what to expect from this man, you know? Yeah. But what they could expect was tour dates. And that's what they got, James. And the Dead Weathers first tour to promote Whorehound kicked off in Louisville, Kentucky on June 11th. Good old Kentucky. Let's. Let's take the stage, James, shall we? Uh, okay, let's do it. Let's get on stage. was entirely different from anything Jack had done before, chiefly because he would be behind the drum kit for a majority of each show. 
Uh, Jack does take breaks to sing and play lead guitar, even crooning without an instrument at times on live covers of songs like You Just Can't Win. That automatically sets it apart from the other Jack tours. I know it set it apart for us because we were sort of looking back there at the drummer now. You know, we're sort of like, <laughs> is we were wondering, is Jack going to come up and play some guitar? What's going to happen here? Neither of us, I knew the kills a little bit before this. I remember like I had heard Sour Cherry and a handful of other songs, maybe a couple months prior to this coming out, but I still I had no idea there was even a connection there. But we had no real conception of the kills. You know, we knew the hits from Queens of the Stone Age, but that was pretty much it. We didn't know anything about Dean Fertitta. There's a lot of uncharted territory as we're going into this tour as fans. Yeah, we went into this as blind as you can be, and we didn't even listen to the album. We did have it. Or we had it a couple days before. A couple days, yeah. <laughs> but not in, not enough to listen to uh, listen and memorize lyrics. Uh, with the exception of Cut Like a Buffalo, we sure as hell knew how to sing the chorus <laughs> to that one. Yes, we did. The band's aesthetic was darker, more gothic, and a distinct departure from the childlike red, white, and black of the Stripes, and even still from the brown and golden cowboy colors of the Raconteurs. So he's differentiating this with a more of like a black, silver kind of look and yellow yeah yeah some yellow exactly some yellow in there which sets it apart drastically from even even those other projects so james we talked about it the tour kicking off so it's not technically the start of the north american tour it's really more of a one-off but the tour does kick off on june 11th in louisville kentucky at city block a child of a few hours is burning to death and forever my queen are introduced to their set at this show forever my queen is a pentagram cover off of their album review your choices which was released in 1999 but the songs from which were around during the band's heyday in the 70s so that's another from that era via song the facts uh written by pentagram lead singer bobby liebling forever my queen is one of the more popular tracks from the band which was the subject of a 2011 documentary last days here popularity is relative however and in pentagram's case only a handful of fans heard the band when they were active in the 70s and performing the song most of pentagram's fans came from renewed interest decades later and the release of some compilation albums that gave many of their songs including this one a proper release in many cases the songs were newly recorded with different musicians although liebling remained a constant jack white's band the dead weather released a cover version of this song as a single in 2009 not sure that's true white overnighted five copies of it to bob liebling after they recorded it bobby told us that it was the best cover he's heard of the song even though he doesn't like girls in rock bands referring to allison mosshart <laughs> he says quote i'm prejudiced but she did a bang-up job a vault single 
No, it was the okay. A-side of the Vault single. Ah, there you go. I smelled that fact. Thank you, James. You're welcome. This is the first performance proper. James, I don't know if you remember during the show, but they had that big tapestry, kind of raconteurs-esque of that almost calligraphy-looking or rorschach test kaleidoscopic design yeah back there. i think and it was actually the back of the album if i'm recalling correctly it was the same design aesthetic as the album artwork yeah which kind of now that i'm thinking about it had kind of a psychedelic sort of aesthetic although darkly psychedelic you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The band was mostly dressed in black. Dean Fertitta in black with a leather jacket. Alison Mosshart sort of wearing her trademark kind of cowboy boots and whatever. Uh, darker looking clothes. Jack Lawrence, you know, usually in a black button down with slacks. And Jack White, pretty much for this whole tour and for this whole band, wears a form-fitting black long sleeve shirt with nothing on it and, like, black slacks. And his hair is out of control. This was sort of the start of the like crazy long version of his hair kind of era. Yeah, yeah, it gets poofy. It gets uh, it becomes a wall of hair. But it works behind the kit because it's like bouncing yeah. around and stuff. Yeah. Uh, from there, the next day on June twelfth, they play the Magic Stick in Detroit. This, if you'll remember back to our episode five Olivia Jean episode, this is very possibly the show where Olivia met Jack for the first time. Hmm. We know it was at a Dead Weather Magic Stick performance. Unclear if it was this one or in 2010. I think the timeline syncs up enough where it could be this one, but hard to say. Jean said, I had a recording that I gave to Jack. It was mostly instrumental music but it was a jumping-off point for, like, some project to begin. I did it for myself, but I didn't play anything live because I didn't have a band. But once we all met, we kind of collaborated together and shared ideas. Threw all those ideas together, and we had a lot of material to work with, she told Interview Magazine. Hmm. And the the Olivia Jean and the Black Bells share a similar aesthetic to the Dead Weather, too. They do indeed. This is part of that kind of period of time for him, the sort of... I'm a goth time period. <laughs> Via MLife.com, Jack White gave Detroit some hometown love on Friday when he dropped in at the Magic Stick with his band The Dead Weather for a surprise show. According to Billboard.com, the June 12th concert was the first in a series of preview shows that are kicking off the band's first North American tour. started circulating online about the show a few days before the band officially dropped an announcement on their website Friday morning. If you missed this underpopularized show, don't fret. The Dead Weather will be back in Detroit on July 24th for an official show at the Fillmore. There's a lot of surprise shows going on with The Dead Weather. I'm not sure if it was quite that way with the Tours. It certainly wasn't when I did my research about the Broken Boy Soldiers tour, but I think Jack around this time starting to get some ideas about surprise shows, which we, we know he will double down on and get even crazier with when it comes to his solo tour, the Blunderbuss tour. Yeah, that's right. And we go over a little bit of that with his uh, surprise show at that gas station. Yeah. <laughs> so these are all still preview shows. He goes up to Toronto. He plays the Roxy in West Hollywood, which is kind of nuts. Hey, 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 hey. 
also plays The Tonight Show on June 18th with Conan O'Brien. So Jack does appear on Conan O'Brien's Tonight Show. This was the 14th episode of Conan's Tonight Show, and other guests that night included Ava Mendez and Christopher Mintz-Place. He made it in under the wire, because how long did that show last? Uh... Not very long. Uh. <laughs> stereo gum. The raconteurs are presumably still in the midst of a pretty successful run, and between Brendan Benson's upcoming solo LP and this year project, they're using this downtime to sate their extracurricular passions. But nobody doubts the true color of Jack's stripes lie in his name. And until he makes another record with Meg, everything else is just a high-profile and probably lucrative stopgap. Oof. Untrue. The dead weather's a mixed bag quality-wise. Still, the Tonight Show stage and Jack's buddy Conan's fawning response probably did a good deal to reach into the heart of America and convince couch and channel surfers that this is a real rock band. All the Zeppelin stomp and bluesy swagger might not have much substance beneath it, but these dudes and lady definitely know how to strike a pose. The camera will take charisma over songwriting any day. Stereo Gum doesn't like the dead weather oh very much. God, that was scathing. What? <laughs> really scathing. What the hell? All right. I mean, I get that they're different. I mean, I get that they're a little more of an acquired taste than some of Jack's earlier work. But at the same time, the White Stripes were just as acquired. Like, <laughs> yes. What? I mean, it just, yeah, it just goes to show you that this was kind of a pill for some people to swallow. Yeah. And especially people who wanted White Stripes. I think Jack White saw that to an extent and was like, well, maybe they deserve more of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he likes messing with people. I mean, but look, at the top of the show, even we said, like, yeah, it took us a while to get into it, you know? But I I mean, that said, I still, I love the dead weather, and I liked it just as much during Whorehound as I do now. Like, it's, well, maybe I like it a little more now, but at the same time, I liked it yeah. when I heard Whorehound. I thought it was great, because I was into my grunge phase, and it was very gritty and, and in that and with it, but. Oh, yeah, you had a fedora. I saw the pictures. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry <laughs> to the world. <laughs> no, you looked great. I looked I looked like I had just fallen out of a dumpster uh, and into Mike's arms. <laughs> From there, the band goes to England to promote the album and the group, uh, over to London for stints with Basement Live, and then back to Maida Vale Studios, which should be familiar to listeners of our Peel Sessions episode, which uh, was conducted in association with music tastemaker and Jack White friend Zane Lowe. So that just goes to show you the Maida Vale Studios, Jack's back in there, He's promoting them again, hmm. this time with Zane Lowe. They also play the Boston Music Room, the Culture Show, and HMV Forum, which culminates in a performance at the Glastonbury Festival on June 26th. Keep in mind, this is before the official tour started, but they're playing the Glastonbury Festival. About that show, there's some killer cuts from Glastonbury. It's a really good show. It was also a surprise performance recounted by Zane Lowe on interviews after the event via NME. The band were billed as special guests, having only announced one day prior to their performance that they were actually going to perform at Glastonbury. Damn it, Jack. Quote, the foursome were all dressed in black with white on drumming duties, supporting an impressive mane of hair that flailed wildly as he moved around to play his instruments. Shake hands. You make me mother. 
band kept chat minimal throughout the set, apart from White introducing the band members, calling Mossheart Baby Ruthless. <laughs> Later in the set, bassist Jack Lawrence took to the drum stool while White strapped on a guitar to play Will There Be Enough Water, drawing cheers from the crowd. Keep in mind, the album is not out yet. No one knows these songs. He and Mossheart shared a microphone to sing the song together before White drew more cheers from a series of impressive guitar solos. The band hugged and bowed at the front of the stage, with White signing off by saying, Have a good time. God bless. James, I, I think it's safe to say that the Jack and Allison on the microphone bit was a pretty key element of that tour. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, and it's something that they repeat pretty much at every show that they play. For good reason. It it's powerful. It's a powerful moment during the concert and uh you know, no matter how canned it might be, it definitely feels intense when you're there and it feels like, you know, you're witnessing some kind of intimate moment because Yes. Jack and Allison look like they're about to make out in front of the microphone. Yes. They practically do. At some points, it looks like they their lips do make contact, and then they pull away very quickly. Yeah. Like I said before, very theatrical, and they, they play with you a little bit. With You know, in movies, they'll sometimes, like, have a couple, like you said, almost about to kiss, and then at the last second, turn away to do something. You know, it's, it's very, like, old-school Hollywood it, it, with a gothic... 90s twist for some reason yeah needless to say rumors about them being in a relationship were swirling at this time again we don't like to really talk about that stuff on this show Uh, whether it happened or not is for them to know and for us not to know but what we do know is that their back and forth and their sexual chemistry was used during this tour i mean that's just a fact it just was yeah and speaking of sexual chemistry the band moved on to france and played a couple gigs there at uh, la Cigale and canal plus studio and the canal plus studio performance is that concert privé thing which stands as a particularly intimate documentation and interview with the group at this point in the tour that's the one i reference for the child of a few hours is burned to death performance on our five on the live covers episode yes from Europe on July 10th and played Third Man Records in Nashville again. Thus begins the start of the North American tour, which kicked off in Washington, D.C. on July 13th at the 930 Club, a popular haunt for Jack White. Mm -hmm. This is the show that officially kicked off that leg of the tour. He did another gig there, and then it was off to Terminal 5 in New York City, where on July 16th and 17th, the Dead Weather performed two shows along with 
a performance at a Third Man Records pop-up shop in New York City. I remember now, that. Now, this was a new thing for the tour. Yeah. The, I saw, like, on the official Third Man Records MySpace showing the time. But on their official MySpace, yeah. they showed the pop-up shop and all that stuff. And I was like, I was in the city. We could have been there. I know. We were fools for not going. I don't know why we didn't go. It was super dumb not to go. Yeah. But that show was amazing. We were there for the show on the 17th. Yeah. And it was great. It was uh, it was the one of the first times that we had gone, the three of us, me, you, and Mike. And I was dumb enough to wear a yeah. fedora. And it was a bad, bad time fashion-wise. But... Uh, good time uh, show-wise, and I took lots of pictures. We saw lots of inebriated individuals, and it was a great time. some of the photos from that show that we saw on the uh, on the Facebook group. It was a great show. You know, Terminal 5 is a great venue. There's a little bar area, and it's cool because I remember being in that bar area, having a drink, waiting for the show to start. I picked up a shirt, and I remember looking at the crowd there, and there was a lot of people in fedoras, and I was like, oh man, Jack's got a following look at this there was like a kid that looked like he was cosplaying jack white yeah we took a picture of him (laughs) yeah and i was not old enough to drink at this point so i had two they forced you to put two black x's on your hands uh so (laughs) i looked very straight edge too at the same time it was an interesting fashion decision we were pretty close for that one too we were not very far away and we got a good view of the show and i remember it very fondly i remember it being very cool and sweaty and crazy yeah in there and i remember being like because allison during that show was doing a lot of pacing on the stage and she would like sort of slink off and sit on the amplifier and chain smoke during songs she's like a cat up there she's pacing back and forth if she had a tail it'd be flicking back and forth she then perches herself on an amplifier, not doing anything but looking around, and then she'll jump yeah. off and start singing again. Yeah, very different from the Allison we see in The Kills. Yeah. Uh, the Allison we see in The Kills is Robert Plant. Yeah. And she still does some of that stuff with the Dead Weather, but I think being in a band with Jack and those other musicians, she was trying to find her place in that mix, whereas The Kills is so much more of her and Jamie's thing that it's just a different experience. Yeah. I wonder if Jamie Hintz was at any of the shows, either backstage or in the audience during any of these. Well, she talks a lot about him during interviews saying that they're going to go back into the studio after the Dead Weather and wrap up the tour. But, you know, going back to the pop-up shop for a moment, uh, via NME, the Dead Weather are set to perform a pop-up record store, which will be open for two days in the Lower East Side of New York City. 
It will be located at 131 Christie Street between Broom and Delancey and will be open from 10 a.m. to 6. The store will be selling Deadweather's debut album Whorehound as well as other third man releases, limited edition items, and merchandise. The first 100 people to show up at the store will get wristbands to see a performance by the band there at noon on Thursday, July 16th, and six copies of the album will feature hidden golden tickets for an all-expenses-paid trip to Third Man Records in Nashville, Tennessee. He really is furthering that Willy Wonka of rock mythos. Yeah. You bring your own record store with you with, like... Sometimes. Yeah, with limited uh, editions of, of vinyl and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Why is vinyl so important? Uh, it's just one way to get people to remember that uh, music is important, you know, and it's beautiful and romantic at the same time. And the idea of going to a record store and picking out a record and holding it in your hands and playing it on a turntable, I don't think should ever be lost. It's as, it's as important as go, sitting in a movie theater and watching a movie uh, or going to a museum and seeing a painting. Uh, there's some things that aren't, it's not good enough to see the digital re- reproduction of them. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to do everything I can to support that, you know. Okay. So, yeah, you got a lot of collector's items, of course. We happened to see this on my birthday, July 17th, which was a, my 24th birthday. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful time. And it was, as you say, six days after the album came out. So we knew Cut Like a Buffalo, and that was pretty much it. And we knew the singles yeah. that had come out. But we were still very much getting to know the album. I remember us sitting around having some drinks in my room prior to departing for the city, listening to it on repeat, trying to learn the songs a little bit with Mike. We also knew Our Friends Electric because that was a a released song that LimeWire had handed to us. (laughs) (laughs) It was a uh, a song that we had heard and we... We didn't know what to think of it, and we didn't really un- understand where it fit with the rest of the band because they yeah. didn't play it on stage. And we're—I don't know—it made us. At least it made me think that we were running into another blackjack illywax situation in which we were told something was yes. the raconteurs, and it was in fact an Australian version of the raconteurs. So it was possible this was an Australian version of this is my bad Australian accent. <laughs> An Australian version of the dead weather. Hello, I'm I'm Alison Mozart. I'm on a kangaroo, mate. (laughs) Now the only image in my head is a is a koala that has Jack Lawrence's hair and glasses. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you gotta eat those eucalyptus leaves because they look pretty tasty. (laughs) Hey, hey. Are you gonna eat? Are you gonna eat those eucalyptus leaves? James. Uh, also on the uh, July seventeenth, Jack played the Late Show with Jimmy Fallon, where he yeah. played "Treat Me Like Your Mother" and "No Hassle Night." And other guests on that show include Anna Paquin and Eric Mancow Mueller. Who? <laughs> <laughs> she was she was Rogue in the X Men films. Right, right, Anna right. Paquin. Go. 
from there, the band goes to Boston and uh, at the House of Blues, then up to Canada, where they go to uh, several places in Canada at uh, Cool House. They also did a Cool House backstage gig on that same day. And then down to Detroit for their performance at the Fillmore. From there, they went on to Columbus, Ohio, where CD101, which is an alternative rock station in that area, did a big room performance with them. And then on to Minneapolis, Chicago, back to Tennessee, Colorado, Utah, Washington, back to Canada. Back to Genesee. Sorry. <laughs> Portland, Oregon, the Wiltern Theater in Los Angeles. And now we're in the toward the tail end of August 2009, uh, the 25th and 26th specifically, where the band play an extra show, which wasn't originally a part of their tour, at the Mayan Theater, mm. which was to be released later as a Vault-exclusive DVD and vinyl package that would be Vault Package number 32, which, James, we got not that long ago in the mail. Yeah, that was the very last Vault package that we have received, so pretty cool stuff. I know I've watched it. It's really neat to relive the concert experience in a professionally shot manner instead of just looking at cell phone videos on YouTube. Yes. Jack seems particularly agitated about blackberries here. Yeah, you ain't gonna be quiet like the Wilton, are you? Come on, L.A., put your blackberries down for five minutes. Which, you know, he's been on tour now for two months. Yeah. Three months. Yeah. Something about the tour. I think it's mainly tour fatigue, but he gets real aggressive about Blackberries at the start of this thing. So something must have had like smartphones are starting to become a thing now. And I think that might be what he's reacting to. So, hey, Jack, it's it's only going downhill from here, brother. (laughs) You know, it's his war on technology, which we've talked about before it never used to be like that you it, know but it's it, it ramped up here for sure maybe that's where black gadget stemmed from was originally blackberry and he just <laughs> kind of moved it to the next thing to encompass everything but yeah uh, i remember that and it definitely is a sign of the times along with like i said myspace being a big part of the third man promotion picture yeah. The official Third Man press release about the Vault Package number 32. Hot off the heels of the release of their debut album, Horham the Deadweather played an absolutely incendiary set at the legendary Mayan Theater. They burnt it down. <laughs> their fiery performance captures the band at their most feral and raw, firing on all cylinders full of broken glass, black leather, and strobe lights. For years, this show has been whispered about as one of the best shows the band has ever played. So now felt a better time than ever to release this performance into the world. Featuring audio expertly mixed by Grammy Award winner Vance Powell, Mm. the immersive concert film The Dead Weather Live at the Mayan, directed by Vern Moyen, is revelatory. The band's signature gems like Hang You Up From The Heavens and Treat Me Like Your Mother sit pretty with explosive non-album B-sides like You Just Can't Win, originally by them. Chance, I want to not to bet, but you're getting something else. Oh, what a 
A Child a Few Hours is Burning to Death, originally by the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band. The companion audio of Live at the Mayan marks the first ever live LP from the Dead Weather's first year and serves as a blistering reminder as to why this band still matters. Your stereo will thank you, your neighbors not so much. <laughs> also includes some really cool photography by David Swanson in there, among other photographers. Yeah, if you haven't done that, first of all, subscribe to The Vault and then tell them I sent you so I could get entered into that contest. (laughs) If you haven't subscribed to The Vault, you should definitely do that because it always gives us cool stuff like this. They performed the mine the same day as the second pop-up store debuted in L.A., where they also played a gig. But tell us a little bit more about the the idea of these kind of third-man shops which kind of pop up around the globe. We took over one in uh, this abandoned... uh place in, in New York and that went really well we played there and as well in Los Angeles we did it uh, so an abandoned uh, porno theater in this district downtown and we took that over and it was an incredible uh, show there that was yep. a huge like sort of abandoned auditorium we played that was one of our oh, favorite shows yeah. that's actually uh, we filmed that and that's actually uh, for sale on iTunes this week uh, clips from that Yeah, like five or six songs, I think. Via Stereo Gub. As record stores shudder across the country, Jack White's delightfully retro third-man records and novelties is thriving. It's a simple strategy for retailer success. Keep the store open for only three days and host free performances by the dead weather. In July, third-man set up a pop-up shop in New York. And this week it's taking over the Regent Theater in downtown L.A. Wednesday was the grand opening and tomorrow is the grand closing, so head over if you're in the market for some novelties. Yesterday afternoon found Jack White and Jack Lawrence briefly in costume as one another. (laughs) Quote, the old switcheroo is the industry term, I believe. Before joining Allison and Dean for a set, all as their lead up to the Mayan gig that evening. (laughs) I love I love these people. Incidentally, during this particular section of the tour, Brendan Benson was on the road promoting his new album, My Old Familiar Friend. And yes, and he told Spin Magazine that the raconteurs were, quote, on an indefinite break. Mm. So while the dead weather are out there, Brendan's saying, hey, we're not working together for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah. From here, they go to Pomona at the Glass House, and then the band plays Jimmy Kimmel Live for a whopping four songs. So Far From Your Weapon, Forever My Queen, 60 Feet Tall, and Hang You Up From the Heavens. It's in a big concert pavilion set up outside the studio, and BJ Novak helps introduce the band. Thanks, guy from The Office. Whorehound is their latest album. You can see the full performance at JimmyKimmelLive.net. Click the Pontiac Garage once again. The Dead Weather. Good night. From there, they go to San Diego and San Francisco, and then they go on a month-long hiatus in September. Now, we'll, we'll get to this in a moment, but they, the band was still busy during this month-long hiatus. They returned on October 2nd at Tabernacle in Atlanta and the next day at the House of Blues in New Orleans. They then went to Austin, Texas for the Austin City Limits Festival, Dallas, Texas, and then they did a series of gigs in Mexico before the band flew back to Europe, kicking off another leg of the tour at the Manchester Academy at the end of the month, followed by a performance again on Jules Holland on the 20th. 
first of all, the band does another pop-up store in London, this time on Halloween night. Uh, we just had an incredible Third Man Records pop-up store in London a few days ago for Halloween. We took over Shoreditch Church and uh, we opened the record store there and the band uh, performed on Halloween night and we had a rare vinyl that was glow-in-the-dark and uh, a lot of interesting things. You know, we just uh, really loved the experience of uh, people going getting up and walking to a place and buying an actual record they can hold in their hands, you know. It's a tangible experience that I think we don't want to see lost. Uh, From there, they go to France, Germany, the Netherlands, Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. And that lasts the band through November 17th when they fly back to the States for another performance at the Music Hall of Williamsburg. They wrap their tour on November 18th at the Roseland Ballroom in New York City. And that James marked the end of the Whorehound tour. A little shorter than the Broken Boy Soldiers tour. Yeah. And a little shorter than the Blunderbuss tour. Could be the amount of performances for a new group. Hard to say. A lot of shows that were not publicly known about until the day of. And a lot of shows that were not public. You had to go to pop-up shops and stuff. I guess you could call this tour impromptu, Mm. which you could pretty much described this band as just to cover a couple extra things here james we talked about my birthday on your birthday in 2009 that would be october 16th for those who haven't memorized james's birthday allison mosshart confirmed to greg cochran of the bbc that the group's next album was quote halfway done but wouldn't be released fully until the following may they were recording the second album which would wound up being sea of cowards on breaks from the tour yeah so that's what they were doing in september yeah, and not only that, even during the finishing of recording for Sea of Cowards, Jack White, in some interview, I don't remember exactly what, he says, we have enough material to fill, like, two CDs worth, like a double CD or a double album worth of material. So on October 30th, a live release of the uh, Live at Third Man Records West performance uh, would be released, and that is in reference to the Rolling Records tour, the pop-up shop Los Angeles, mm. which I've had on my iTunes for quite a while, and it was one of those things I bought on iTunes and won't leave my iTunes because I bought it on iTunes. So no matter how I update my iTunes, that has stayed on my <laughs> iTunes, and I hear that particular show like a bunch. <laughs> um, but I think overall this sounds like it was a really fun tour. They're all excited and joking with each other constantly, and the, the chemistry between between Allison and Jack is very cute. It's a puppy dog sort of fun way, and they're very much they're very clearly having fun together. Right. Yeah, and so I have very fond memories of this tour, and would have very fond memories of the subsequent tour the following year. And James, uh, that was uh, Whorehound, the tour. Wow, what a tour, Paul! Great tour. Love the tour. Love the tour. Love the tour. And now, James, we're going to kick it to our third woman for this week. What do you say? I'd say that's a great idea, Paul. Let's kick it to our third woman. We'd like to welcome back to the show Callie Durga. Callie, you are back. It's been so long. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? We're we're doing okay. I've been better. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) We've been sitting at this recording booth waiting for you to come back to the show and... Yeah, uh, the cobwebs have amassed, and but you're back. All is right in the world. Yes, and this week we're going to be talking. We're going to be doing a fell in love with a show segment. It's going to be kind of a twofer. Now uh, we're talking about live stuff this week, and so fell in love with the show seems apt 
And Callie, you've seen a couple Third Man related shows in the recent past. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one being Pokey Lafarge, uh, and that was in Philadelphia, if I'm correct. Yeah, that was um, at the World Cafe Live in uh, in Philly just a week or so ago. First time I'd seen Pokey in two years. I've seen them a couple of times. Oh, so a little while. And um, yeah, I actually kind of went for old time's sake. I, I was not a huge fan of the last album, Something in the Water. So mm-hmm. I had kind of not been listening to as much of his music lately, but uh, I'd heard good things about the new record. Was it Manic Revelations? Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I hadn't listened to it yet, but I'd heard good things about it, so figured I'd take a chance and go see them again. And I'm very, very glad that I did, because he reconfigured the band again. It gelled a lot better, I think, than the band that he had for the last tour. It was a fantastic show. Nice. Absolutely fantastic show. And I think, like, Riot in the Streets is some of his finest work, which is on Manic Revelations. hmm Yeah. It's work that I wouldn't expect from him, because it's very culturally resonant to our society right now and, and to what he's experiencing near St. Louis and all that stuff. So it's an interesting time for Pokey, and it, I think it's some of his best work that's coming out. glad you got to see him in some of his finest form i'd say the highest compliment i could pay that riot of the streets song is it doesn't sound old timey and <laughs> you know we have our differences i think james and i uh, on pokey on occasion i his sort of shtick or gimmick or whatever you want to call it the i know he doesn't consider it that but mm-hmm. the old timey nature of the songs kind of wears on me after a little while and it was actually really refreshing to hear him composing a song that sounded a little more modern and a little more in the moment than in some other moment that I get that he feels a kinship toward. I'm not trying to say that's invalid, Mm. but I get he really feels that other stuff. But this felt a little bit more direct. If you haven't listened to the rest of the new album, you probably should, because the whole thing takes a new direction. It's kind of like he stepped forward a couple of decades. There's a lot more soul and R&B in his sound now. I was yeah. really surprised listening to the songs live that it did, with the horn players that he's got and the, the kind of backup vocals that they're doing. And Pokey was almost crooning a few times. <laughs> uh, so it, it sounded very, the music's very soulful now, which was really surprising, but also really cool. I mean, it, it made for a terrific show. He's still got a lot of interaction with Ryan Koenig, um, his utility mm-hmm. player. Ryan was playing banjo and his usual incredible harmonica. Mm-hmm. And doing great backup vocals. So the new sound really works. I was really impressed. Right from the start, well, it takes 
can tell that you got these tickets off of a dirty scalper, and I'm very, very embarrassed uh, for everyone involved in that story. Yeah. Um, someone flipping tickets for money. <laughs> find it disgusting. But this was at the New World Cafe. Is that, is that, what, is that what you said? World Cafe Live, yeah. yeah. World yeah. Cafe and, Live. And I'm very grateful to that scalper. Uh, on behalf of uh, me and my wife, thank you very much for taking those tickets off of our hands. We had purchased them forgetting that we had a wedding on that very day. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> that, was, that was my wife saying thank you. So we, we were very appreciative that you were able to utilize them to their fullest extent. Well, my, my friend Dan and I were very appreciative. Yes, and it, it paved the way for us to go see that Lily May show that we saw because we were able to get tickets to that afterwards instead. So thank you, and uh, I'm glad you got to enjoy it. And the World Cafe is a great location. I nearly saw Margot Price there. Oh, that would have been great. Did he have an opener, or was it just uh, was it just him? Yeah, it was uh, um, Kelsey Walden, who, when she first started her set, I was like, oh my gosh, she's like a Margot Price wannabe. Um, very country sound. She's got almost exactly the same band configuration as Margot, but by the third song, it was like, oh my gosh, she's really good. Mm-hmm. And, okay. you know, she might be in the same vein as Margot, but she's got her own sound, her own stories that she tells in her in her songs and everything. And then my friend Dan and I talked to her after the show. She was at the merch table, and it turns out she's a friend of Margot's. Oh. Hmm. Um, there you go. But anybody who enjoys Margot's music, I definitely recommend that you check out Kelsey Walden. Awesome. I'm hoping she stays on the tour. I'm going to see him at the Troubadour in a couple weeks. And I'm, I've been wondering, because I know he was with Lily May, and they were sort of touring mm-hmm. together for a little while. And since he split with her, I was wondering who they were choosing for their respective openers, if they had them. And so it's it's nice to hear that there'll be one for Pokey, hopefully. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be Kelsey or not, because I think she was saying she was getting ready to go back to Nashville. Mm. Oh, well. Yeah. So you might to YouTube with else. me. <laughs> yes. There you go. So, um, so overall impressions. How was how was the the crowd and the venue and all that? The venue is great. I mean, the stage and and the lighting effects at World Cafe Live are always really really cool. Mm-hmm. The sound is really good. I never have any idea what the crowd is like, honestly, because I'm usually right up at the front, <laughs> so everybody's behind me. I did turn around at one point and it was pretty full, and the crowd was pretty loud, so it it seemed like it was really good, a really good audience. And very receptive. I mean, there was there was one moment Pokey comes out at one point and does a, a couple of songs solo, and he played a brand new song that he had apparently just written a day or two before that is probably going to be on their next album. And nice. You know, the crowd was totally hushed, so it was it's very re- receptive crowd. I mean, they were loud when they needed to be loud, and they were they were quiet in moments like that when he was trying out something new. Philadelphia is uh, a, a notorious wild card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Philly crowds can be pretty loud and obnoxious sometimes, as I've experienced. So it's good to see that they're willing to, 
to listen to Pokey and that there's a fan base for Pokey in Philadelphia, or at least in the nearby area, because I know Philly has a reputation for batteries being thrown. So, um... <laughs> oh, that's not good. No, it's not. Maybe that's why Jack White doesn't like playing there. Uh, yeah. It's a possibility. There's probably a lot of reasons. The last time I was at a Philadelphia celebration for anything, it was that the Phillies had won the World Series, and uh, I got hit with a firework in the street. So, uh, you Ouch. know... There were riots in the street, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> hey! Oh, good time. Bring it full circle. Uh, that is not the only show that you saw in the recent past. You saw what is essentially flat duo Jets, Dex Romweber and Crash LaResh. Yes. Wow. First of all, where? Second of all, whoa. Was it a place in uh, Washington, D.C. called Hill Country Barbecue, which I've actually of never tried their barbecue, but I've, yeah, I've never tried their barbecue, but I've been to a couple of shows there. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, both shows I've been to there were Pokey Lafarge. Um, <laughs> yeah, the second time I ever saw them a couple of years ago was at Hill Country, and then, God, I didn't, hadn't even realized that. I just, anyway. Their barbecue is terrible, but their uh, music is great. <laughs> yeah, down, downstairs they have a, a stage. It's just a tiny little space. When it gets crowded, it gets really close, but it's a really intimate way to see a band. This particular show was uh, Dex and Crash LaRush, kind of recreating Flat Duo Jets since right. Crash obviously wasn't the original drummer. Um, mm-hmm. He was the one right on the tail end there, sort of. Yeah, but he's a fantastic drummer. It was so cool to watch him. I've never seen a drummer play an entire set standing up. I don't think he even had a stool. <laughs> and his cymbals, I swear his cymbals were like five feet high. <laughs> it was awesome. just, it was so neat to watch it. So much fun. So it was, uh, did he go on about how great it is for your metabolism and how it's changed his life and how everyone should play drums standing up now and how you're all just a bunch of sheeple for sitting down at your drum kits? I'm sorry. I'm getting confused with with standing desk people. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go on. (laughs) I work with someone who has a standing desk, so I hear that stuff. Nah, Crash was too busy drumming to, to lecture anybody. Okay. But, uh, and how is Dex doing? Dex is awesome. For those people who have not seen him live, if you've you know ever seen the early videos, like the the David Letterman appearance, you know when he's jumping all over the place and everything, he doesn't do that anymore. He stands still pretty much the whole show, but the intensity level is still there. I mean, his facial expression and the way he holds his body, there's a lot of intensity there, and it obviously comes out through the music. He's still got those old crappy silver tones and, yeah. and his crappy amp. Excellent. But he gets those incredible sounds out of it. Um, it was really cool. I, I noticed for the first time watching him at this show that uh, he actually strums like up on the neck of the guitar huh. on the first few frets at the at the base of the neck of the guitar, and that hmm. I realized that that's how he gets part of that unique sound of his. That's kind of like a, a new wave signature too. I see a lot of groups from that era 
like sort of the Mac kind of era. I think the attractions. I had never seen anybody do it before, so I hmm. thought it was uh, it was it was really cool to notice that. Huh. I didn't, unfortunately, didn't know all of the songs that they played because I'm more familiar with the Dex Rama Duo's catalog than with the Flat Duo Jets catalog because I've seen Dex and Sarah play mm-hmm. a few times as well. Cool. Um, but it was still such a great show. Look down. Was it a uh, predominantly rockabilly crowd, or were there any Jackalite fans, or what was the mix? If there were Jack fans, I couldn't tell. That's a good sign, yeah. (laughs) Probably predominantly (laughs) 30s into middle age. I didn't see very many young people. That seems to be, based on my uh, last experience at Hill Country, uh, I think that seems to be the typical crowd there. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And they had a hell of an opener that night, a band called Daddy Long Legs, a trio, with uh, this tall, skinny, long-legged singer who goes by the name of Daddy Long Legs, and they played some (laughs) (laughs) hellacious rockabilly and heavy blues, so I highly recommend checking them out. They were rocking like crazy. I mean, it it was a fantastic combination with Dex and Crash. That's awesome. And at the end of his set, he unleashed uh, millions of spiders. <laughs> it was really, it was really awful. Oh my god! No, he he, he did even better than that. He played. Uh, are you familiar with the old Lead Belly song, Bourgeoisie Blues? No, I don't think so. Apparently, Lead Belly wrote it in Washington D.C. He had come to visit Alan Lomax mm. and mm-hmm. could not stay at Alan Lomax's house because of the issues with segregation and so forth because Alan Lomax's uh, landlady complained. Lomax had to take him out and find a hotel that they could check Lead Belly into that would accept black people. So Lead Belly wrote this song called Bourgeois Blues. Listen, yeah, people, listen to me. Don't try to buy no home down in Washington, D.C. Cause it's the bourgeois town. And this guy, Daddy Longlegs, played the song since you know he was in Washington DC and they were doing all sorts of blues and uh, Lead Belly song was appropriate. Mm-hmm. Stuffed a harmonica in his mouth <laughs> while he played a resonator guitar and sang at the same time. It w- I had never seen anything like that. The dude <laughs> blowing up like crazy on the harmonica and then singing the verses of the song with the harmonica sticking out of his mouth and it sounded incredible. Yeah, I've become a big fan of them since then. 
I thought you were going to say maybe they close with Boris the Spider or something, but I was, I was <laughs> struggling to figure out other spider-themed songs. Yeah, there were there were no actual spiders, except for the ones behind uh, Crash's drum set. <laughs> <laughs> you said you saw the Dex Ramweber duo a bunch. You didn't happen to see the, them play in any Third Man stuff, had you? Because uh, Dex had opened for... Yeah, uh, no, I did not see them at Third Man, but I saw them at Mercy Lounge Wanda opening Jackson. for Wanda Jackson. Yeah. Okay, but, um, yeah, there you go. That was back in 2011, I think. That's cool. Whatever year it was that Jack inducted Wanda into Country Music Hall of Fame. Right. Well, mm-hmm. that, that year would make sense. Was uh, was she playing with a third man band, or was it like sort of her own um, setup? I think it was her own band for that show. Okay. I did see her when The Party Ain't Over was released, when they played in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, with oh, the third cool. man band. Yeah. I, yeah, I, and that I was, saw that show. Was that Jack, too? Yeah, yeah. It was Jack and, and the third man band. Ah, and then ah. I think the the Mercy Lounge show, I think it was her own band. And uh, Dex and Sarah opened, and uh, Dale Watson played before them. Kelly, I, uh, I'm concerned if we talk more, your bottomless concert pit of awesome experiences <laughs> is going to be inescapable. I am profoundly jealous of all these awesome shows you went to. Immediately I'm filled with regret for not going to more of them. <laughs> I, I wish everybody could go to all of them. I, I wish I could go to all of them. It, it actually kills me sometimes that I have friends who have been to more than I have. <laughs> yeah. I get I get jealous of them, so it's all relative. Well, that's why we have you on the show, so that we could feel like we're there. There you go. And we're very grateful for you uh, joining us again this week. It was awesome to hear about both of these shows. Uh, I'll report back to everybody after I visit uh, Mr. Lafarge uh, myself shortly and uh i'm looking forward to that very much because i have never seen him before well no no i saw him open for jack but i've never seen a um i've never seen a solo pokey performance so i'm looking forward to that i can't wait to hear i i mean i can't wait to hear either uh and kelly this has been great thank you for joining (laughs) us once again thank you so much kelly and uh you are just setting all kinds of records this is what like six seven times you've been on the show a lot we're very very grateful for you thank you well, thank you, guys. I'm grateful for the show. I've said that before. This is definitely uh, helping to fill the void during Jack's hiatus. Yeah. Void fillers, number one. <laughs> uh, Callie, thank you very much. We're going to go back to the show now. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Callie. Bye. Take care. James, so many shout outs. So many so to little give. time. So many Google Docs to open that I didn't have prepared. But in the meantime, we're going to give some shout outs here to new listeners of the show. We have Courtney Johnston. Thank you, Courtney. We have I am Cat Lego on Twitter. Thank you, I am Cat Lego. You are Cat Lego. We'd like to thank Brett Lyons. Thank you, Brett. We'd like to thank Anna or Anna. Or at 124 Query Farm on Twitter. Mm. There's also the wonderful Snapdragon. Thank you, Mr. Dragon. Mrs. Um, Dragon, I think. I think that's Kerfuffle. Really? I think so. I think Snapdragon is Kerfuffle. To Twitter! We're building a mythology here. Uh, we have Renee or at Studio Hawk on Twitter. Thank you, Renee. We have Block Rocker. Very nice. And then we have Kyle Dennis Lane. Hey, thank you, everybody, You're the new people interacting with us on social media. If you'd like a shout-out on the show, hey, just, just talk to us online, you know? It's not that hard. Update on Snapdragon. It is Kerfuffle, Kerfuffle 16. I don't know if it is a boy or a girl. So thank you to Snapdragon. You're great. 
you're a dragon. Yeah. You're a dragon man. Oh, James, then we got the regular listeners. Oh, we got our day in, day out, always there listeners. We got Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation, Paul. We've got Andre Ice Cold Lime Man. We have Eileen Corsano. Eileen, we see you over there, Corsano. We have David Poe. Poe, 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 Poe. Good luck matching that up, Paul. We have S.A. Franco. What does that mean? We've got Jeremy Riles keeping us on those rails. We've got our third woman this week and our third woman in spirit every week, Kelly Durga. We have Adrian King, the punk rock queen. Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. My oh me. We've got me oh my. And we are just laughing out loud, not for the first time, but for the second time because it's LOL 2.0 coming in hot. And we've also got a new person to add to the list, Paul. We have Eric Andrew Dodson. We've got Dodson here. We've got Dodson here. I like it. If you want to become one of these people, as we said before, there are many ways to do it. You could go all over social media. You could find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thirdman, or you could tweet at us at thirdmencast on Twitter. Use the hashtag thirdmencast. You can find us on Tumblr and tumble down with us at thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. Yeah, you can go to our WordPress site, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. We sort of sort of host the show there in addition to where we mainly host the show, which is at Spreaker. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, and that's the iHeartRadio podcasting app at Spreaker. You could send us an email to thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com if you'd like to send us a listener question, which you should. Don't be shy. Yeah, we just did a listener question. Come on now, sweeties. Send us some email. We'll take some listener questions. Oh, Granny James. Yeah. We just want some email. Uh, And we just want some questions, maybe some facts. Please send us in some... Oh, this is getting a little borderline. (laughs) Hey! Oh, it's my husband, Peepers. What? You go on now, Peepers. Oh, you You worry. You hear everything. Uh, uh, you're, uh, you're super hot. Thank you, thank you. Well, that's why we created our son, Carl Butterball. Uh, he takes my medicine and feeds it to his turkeys. He loves them turkeys and all those steroids you take there. They get very pumped up, those turkeys. Radio? Yes, radio. You can find us on the radio at Spreaker. (laughs) Those are our old people. Uh, You can also find us on YouTube, where James does some cool visualizers, and you should rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. It really helps us promote the show, so please do that. And also, we'd like to thank uh, Sam Kuber and Tom Valenti for the help with our theme song, We're the Third Man, as well as Susanna Roundtree for the amazing intros and outros to our program that you recorded for us. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. And we've got one other thing. We'd also like, because I'm not sure, you know, we, we may talk to them in the future. We There's a, a White Stripes tribute band called The Dead Leaves, and they're going to be playing a benefit for KBFG on August 14th to 2017 at the Sea Monster in Seattle. So any White Stripes fans who are in the Seattle area or in the Pacific Northwest that would like to uh, check out this awesome band called The Dead Leaves, they're a White Stripes tribute band and they're going to be playing uh, at this KBFG 
benefit on August 14th, 2017. So everybody go check those out. If you want to get tickets, uh, the URL is thedeadleaves.brownpapertickets.com and you can go ahead and find them there and that's really cool. KBFG is a volunteer group of radio enthusiasts enthusiasts dedicated to bringing quality programming to north seattle neighborhoods and they are having a benefit with the white stripes cover band the dead leaves and like paul said uh sea monster lounge monday august 14th in uh wallingford go check it out it's bound to be a good time it will and hey until next week james i am going to be looking for a dead home oh boy i'll be looking for a home to put my hound in All right, see you next time. Bye. Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. So anyway, long story short, I was very relaxed, and now I find myself just wanting to be massaged more, and I think I'm turning into a massage guy. Oh, God. Uh Uh-oh. I love your shirt. Uh, So from there, the next day... (laughs) Charlie's like, I'm growing my hair out too. Uh, Sorry, I'm I'm deep in the hole of this 1930s Jack White. (laughs) (laughs) James... I have to use my phone and James took the damn charger and uh, James Susanna took the damn charger sorry yeah I flew all the way to LA grab your charger took my charger Um, it was a Dodge charger It's, uh, it's, uh, American, I'm trying to come up with a pun for American, uh, gothic. Nailed it. Can't. Um, (laughs) via We did it! Yay! We did it. We did it. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. We couldn't quite bring ourselves to 
to do it for Fats or Dominic, and so um, it was kind of rough to sync those up. <laughs> Right, James, getting ready to get it. James, you ready to get into this topic here? I'm getting ready to get into this topic, Paul. Let's get into it. Uh, again, none taken. Continue. Podcast. And uh, how are my levels? Uh, they seem fine. Okay.